Welcome to the Paul Miners Podcast, the show that will help you to optimize your time, income, and lifestyle fast. Get more done with actionable, easy-to-follow advice and learn how to live life on your terms. And now, introducing your host, Paul Miners. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Paul Miners Podcast, episode number 179. As always, it is a pleasure to have you listening today. I really do appreciate your time and your attention today. Thank you. Now, today I have an interview with Jeff Sheldon from Ugmonk. Uh, Jeff is someone I've been following for the last couple of years. Um, he has an amazing business and brand, Ugmonk, which you've probably come across uh, one way or another in the last few years. Either you know about Ugmonk, you've been to the, the website where he sells uh, beautifully designed and minimalistic apparel, t-shirts and things, but also office and desk equipment as well. Um, but you've probably if you haven't been to Ugmonk you've probably seen Jeff uh, before online via his desk actually he has uh, many years ago um, shot some photos of his desk and his setup and uh, his photos have been used I think million did he say millions in the interview I can't remember millions of times I think he said a hundred million times they've been downloaded um, these stock photos have been downloaded. So you've probably come across Jeff's uh, desk and work setup before. But in this episode, we talk about uh, a bit of history on Ugmonk, how the business and brand came to be. Uh, we get into his productivity routines, kind of how he blends digital and analog productivity systems, which I found really interesting. Um, and we also talk about his latest Kickstarter campaign for the analog productivity system that he's created. It's this sort of card system that you use to uh, list your priorities on. And so we talk about that campaign. As you know, I don't do a lot of interviews on this podcast. I really only do interviews um, when I have an opportunity to chat with someone that I know, that I follow, who I just genuinely want to talk to. And Jeff did not disappoint. It was great chatting with him, learning more about his business, how he operates as well. Um, and I just want to say as well, uh, Jeff didn't pay for the interview. We did talk about his Kickstarter campaign, which you can learn about in the show notes. I'm not getting a commission. I'm not being paid to promote this. I genuinely just wanted to help Jeff and, and spread his uh, incredible story. So, without further ado, please enjoy this discussion with Jeff Sheldon, Jeff Sheldon from Ugmonk. Enjoy. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Paul Miners podcast. And uh, first of all, welcome, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, I was saying to Jeff just before we started recording, I feel like I know Jeff because I've been following your work for many years now I can't even remember how I found you it was probably like how most people do which they see photos of your office around the place I'm sure that was probably how I found you yeah my desk and my office have become more popular than me I think (laughs) they've been passed around all over the the internet yeah I mean anyone listening that hasn't heard of Jeff and Ugmonk you've probably seen his desk um (laughs) the sort of stuff around but uh yeah thanks for joining today and um yeah this I'd love to talk a little bit about you know the history of Ugmonk I would love to get into some of your productivity routines, and we're going to talk about your Kickstarter campaign as well. Um, before we do, do you want to just give the listeners a bit of history on what is Ugmonk and, and how this brand came about? I know this is probably something you've, you've shared many times, but for those that don't know, if you could give us a bit of the history, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, I'll give the quick version of it. Um, so Ugmonk is a, a brand that I started back in 2008. Well, actually in 2008, it wasn't a brand. It was simply just a side project to keep me busy. Um, I was designing shirts and entering a lot of online contests. And this was back when Threadless and was big and um, started winning a couple of times on a site called Designed by Humans. 
got the cash prize, got the printed shirt, thought, you know, I've made it. Like, this is what, a, this is what it's all about. And I got to hold something that I had created, hold a physical product that I designed and really fell in love with that whole process. So Ugmonk was really just an extension of that to say, let's design a collection of shirts, design a website and see if people will buy them. And um, it was all really based around this minimal aesthetic and things that I liked, things that I wanted to wear. And I was designing like just putting things out. The internet was very different. This was 12 years ago. There was no social media uh, or barely any social media. And yeah, people, people started coming and, and showing up and buying the shirts. And then slow and steady, we've been adding to our collection, um, going from shirts to then workspace products, to then launching Gather, which is a desk organizer back in 2017, to what we've launched just this past, what's running right now is the Kickstarter for Analog, um, which is what I'm calling the simplest productivity system. And uh, yeah, that's a, a very brief overview of the last 12 years. Yeah. And so how did you get your initial traction or customers in the early days? Um, if you remember back, like, you know, because you said the internet was really different. Social media wasn't really a thing yet. Um, how did you kind of get discovered early on? Yeah, I, I mean, even looking back, it was kind of crazy because there wasn't a way to reach out to people. I mean, I started an email list, but I don't even think I started my email list right away. Okay. It was blogs. So it was like t-shirt blogs, design blogs, um, people like Tina who runs Swiss Miss, who still runs her blog to this day, which is awesome. She featured one of my shirts on there. People started finding about finding out about Ugmonk. Then we had their email and would just tell people when we had new products and, and a very bare bones way of kind of reaching out. But truly what I attribute the the success to is the word of mouth, the actual, like somebody buys the shirt, they're like, hey, you got to check out this, this shirt I just got. It's so nice. It's this. And then it spread simply by people buying the products, coming back, buying more, telling their friends um, over and over. And, and social media was really just a way to amplify how that spread. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things and I'm not, I'm not trying to stroke your ego, but it's like when you have a good product, it'll naturally get discovered. Like you said, through the word of mouth and it kind of sells itself really, doesn't it? And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, likewise, I've always sort of been attracted to that sort of more minimalist design. I think a lot of people are. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't really something that was being done at the time too. So when I, when I started, you know, putting an, an online shop, putting up an e-commerce website was pretty new. Like nobody really knew what they were doing. There was only a few people trying to start brands compared to today where, you know, you can't scroll Instagram without seeing a new brand every single day. Yeah. Um, so it was very early on. I was designing things that I didn't see and it attracted people like yourself and like other people that appreciated this design sensibility and just built a, a slow, slowly built a design uh, brand following over the past, you know, you know over the decade. So where did the, because we touched on this at the start, where did the photos come in? Um, you know, you, I think you had some stock photos of your desk and your shelves, mm -hmm. which if you're watching this on YouTube, we can see your shelves have changed a little bit from the ones that many people have seen. But so yeah. I guess, why did you decide to take these photos? And then why do you think people are so intrigued by them? It's, it's really funny because one thing really just led to another. Um, it started with me just wanting to build a monitor stand to kind of prop up my monitor, uh, you know, a little bit taller. So I wanted my monitor more ergonomic. And I, I built this shelf really just out of Ikea parts. The original one was just straight up Ikea parts. Um, and then I had also recently bought the Joey Roth ceramic speakers, which are just like gorgeous to look at. They're definitely like stunners when you see them. I can see them behind you. Yeah. 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 You can see them back here. Um, and then I, I took a photo of my desk and I put up a blog post about how I made the monitor stand. Um, at the same time, I had launched a leather desk, desk or 
leather mouse pad. Um, and it became really uh, an interesting product because you had to see it wear in over time. Mm. And all of a sudden people started coming to me and being like, dude, what else is in your workspace? What's this? What's that? And like really intrigued by my setup. It was never my intention to like design this, you know, ideal setup. Um, I started to take note of that. And then I took photos of my desk and my workspace, not only on Instagram, but then Unsplash, which is a free stock photography site, um, had reached out and was like, hey, do you want to upload some photos? Well, I uploaded photos of my desk, not knowing that they were going to go viral and it was going to be this huge thing. Um, and I don't know what the numbers are now. It's like, it's like 100 million downloads or something crazy wow. of my desk photos that have been freely given and there, people are allowed to use them. They can use them for whatever they want. Um, and that was like how it all happened. That's crazy. And um, I love getting into tangible things because I run a digital business and I'm stuck in front of a computer basically all day. I love using my hands and getting stuck into projects around the house when I can. And I'm just looking at your shelves behind you. And all I'm thinking is how do you get them to float like that with no support? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would like to say it was an easy project, but I would not recommend trying to do that because (laughs) the, to get a shelf to look like it's floating. And if the shelf is made out of solid wood, which is this hard maple, it's not easy to attach to drywall. So there was yeah. sledgehammers and drills and a lot of things involved to get that to float. But there's essentially there's hardware in there that's, yeah. that's drilled out posts that are into the studs <laughs> of the wall. And we had to ram those shelves on there. And it took us, uh, my father-in-law helped me and it took us like a good part of two days trying to get those yeah. things level and on there and the drywall's all warped. And, but it looks great now and it yeah. you know, works great for all of our photography. That's cool. Awesome. Well, one of the things that's always really interested me following you almost more than the products really is you're pretty transparent around how you do your work and around like going behind the scenes, obviously into the product manufacturing, but also like just how you work. Like uh, you, I've seen some blog posts around the tools that you use, how you've set up your desk to be more productive. And that's always what's interested me most. It's just kind of learning how people work. Um, why, why did you, I guess, decide to start sharing that part of your business? Because I suppose normally a brand would just share like, hey, here's our product and this is why it's mm-hmm. cool. But you're actually um, kind of going beyond that. And it's always really interested me. Yeah. What, what sort of prompted that? Yeah, I, I don't, again, I don't think it was this master plan. I think it was more of like, I really appreciated when other designers were sharing what, they, how, what was on their desk. People were sharing how they, you know, shot video and how they do things. And because people kept coming to me asking, you know, how do you shoot the, the product photos? How do you shoot the, the, show, the photos of your, your tees? Um, I would just end up telling them, you know, I didn't feel like there's any secret sauce or magic behind it. I feel like why not just help other designers, other entrepreneurs and help them with those things and not only do that, but make that a part of our business where we're just transparent with things. We're going to help people. Um, I got here just by learning and trying and failing and, and researching um, so I'm happy to kind of like pay that forward, pass it along. And I think at, at the end of the day, it shows like I'm a real human and I'm happy to co- connect with other humans. Like we're all people. We're not trying to just build this faceless corporation. Yeah, no, that's so true. And, and that's what I've, I guess the philosophy I've tried to follow as well. It's just like, Hey, look, if you're interested, this is kind of what I do or how I work. And this is how I do it. Not to say this is the right way, but I think people, mm-hmm. I don't know why people are always interested to just see the behind the scenes. Sometimes it's, it's interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't think there's much to lose unless you're, you have some special magic trick behind the scenes or you pretend like you have something special. Mm. Um, I can show someone my entire design process from start to finish. It doesn't mean they're going to replicate it, but it's helpful to them if they want to learn design, help, you know, see the process and see the steps. And then they realize halfway through like, Oh wait, this is way harder than it looks. Like, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. 
Um, but yeah, I, I try to be really transparent with the way we run things, show them behind the scenes. Um, yeah, all of the things. And um, actually, we, we mentioned at the start before we started recording, um, it's been a big week for you. Obviously, well, you've had a great, great success with your campaign, which we're going to talk about, but you've just um, signed off on getting your first, well, it's not your first warehouse, but you've, I know mm. you've been operating out of your, uh, your parents' garage mm -hmm. for a while, yep. or since the beginning. And yep. so this is your first, uh, I guess, separate office, uh, sorry, warehousing space um, mm -hmm. this week. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Literally this is, you know, fresh off the press. We just, just signed the lease for that. Um, and it's a local space here in Pennsylvania. And, um, what it's going to allow us to do is bring all of our inventory under one roof, more space for, you know, QC and shipping and kidding, um, set up our photo studio there and our offices there. Um, but at the end of the day, like bringing all that stuff under this one roof is going to make a better experience for the customers. Like we're going to have a much more airtight business, by operating this way. Um, so it's expensive and it's kind of the long, hard way. We could outsource it, we could try to stay hands off, but I'm going the complete opposite direction because I care so much about the products and the customers and all of the, the brand that we've built um, to invest in this building. And yeah, and I'm excited just to build out the physical space. I, you know, I'm geeking out on that. Yeah, no, that's super exciting. Congratulations, yeah. Thanks. Um, and something that's always interested me with you as well is, and I think I discovered this through one of Paul Jarvis's blog posts or his book, Company of One, but you, I believe, are very intentional with keeping Ugmonk like a small brand. You don't care about necessarily um, selling thousands and thousands of t-shirts. So you've actually said in the past, I don't know if this is still the case, but <laughs> that you have like a limited run of your shirts. Uh, you don't necessarily print them all in every single color you mm -hmm. kind of keep things quite limited i guess that's how you've been able to operate out of a smaller garage for a while yeah. um yeah again and actually i have to say that sort of led me learning about paul's work and hearing examples of such as yourself that sort of led me to think oh yeah actually it's okay to kind of not grow uh, and mm -hmm. keep the business like at a manageable level where you just enjoy doing what you're doing so um i don't know any any thoughts comments on that at all yeah, I mean, it's it's very countercultural to to not want to keep growing and to keep getting bigger and to keep getting in the press and headlines and all of these things. That's just what we're supposed to do. And I'm not sure who started that mentality, but that that's what it is today, especially, you know, in tech circles and design circles and all these direct to consumer brands that are getting, you know, billion dollar acquisitions and, and crazy growth rates. Um, it's tempting to want to go that way. But at the end of the day, what I've learned, at least for me, is that I don't really enjoy growing and scaling a company and just managing a team. Mm. I really enjoy designing and creating products and selling those and telling the stories and, and being in the weeds on that stuff. That's what I want to be doing. So if I'm managing a team of 100 people, I'm probably not spending most of my time designing and doing those things. So just learning about what's enough. I think we all have a different yeah. level of what's enough. Um, obviously, we would all love to have more cash coming in. I don't think we would ever turn that away. But at the end of the day, that's only going to buy you more things. Like, you know, it's not going to buy you more time and it's not necessarily going to make the process and the journey that much more exciting. I'm really, really understanding myself better of that. I love this like concept to product to launch phase. Like I just, you know, that entire thing is where I'm really, you know, fulfilled and happy and I want to keep doing that. And that means that we will never be a massive, massive company because we're kind of limited to my pipeline of ideas and those things, but it allows us to grow sustainably. And there's enough people that care about these things and have built 
you know, trust with my audience that people will keep coming back to buy from us. And I guess for you, it's about staying true to why you even started Ugmonk in the first place. Because you, you said you started as a side project. It was about, you know, creating some shirts that you wanted, some designs that you wanted to see. If you were to scale and grow a big company where now you've got some designers and some people doing the marketing and the website, what are you, what are you doing? You're just managing, managing the chaos and actually you're not yeah. doing the thing that you enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it interesting that we tend to position, like work our way out of the thing we love. So like a lot of times if you're a really good developer and you, you want to work to a senior level in, in software development, you end up not actually touching code. And while there are some people that are good at leading teams and from a strategy perspective and an architecture perspective, I don't think that's the right path for everyone. Like some people are actually really good technicians, which means mm. like staying as a designer is actually better than being a creative director. Like it doesn't mean we have to work our way out of the things we love. And um, yeah, I just, I think that's self-awareness and people have to understand what, what are they actually going for? Or are they just trying to go up this infinite ladder to nothing? Like it doesn't actually end, right? You just keep mm -hmm. wanting more. And something I've learned about myself as well in terms of how I work and sort of one of the reasons I've, I guess, similarly sort of decided, you know, I don't really want to hire anyone is that I actually really enjoy working by myself. Um, mm -hmm. as lame as that might sound to some yeah. people. Yeah. You know, I've worked in teams in the past and, you know, I definitely enjoy working with other people when I can. And actually now when I do get to, it's, it's more of a novelty. But I've often found that, you know, when you rely on other people or, you know, people might be slowing you down, especially when, you know, I've worked in jobs where there's kind of layers of bureaucracy, which is, which is pretty frustrating. And I, I actually now just enjoy working by myself where I get to make yeah. the decisions and kind of make i'm the one that makes it stuff happen at the end of the day there's a level of yeah control and the autonomy the flexibility that never would show up in like a benefits list on a job you know in a job interview there's yeah. things but i think that goes back to me too like my personality like i love the flexibility i have two young kids i get to design my life around the way that i want to design it um and that is just like the intangible benefit and i find i actually work better because i have the, you know, the pressure on my own back to get it done. I have no one else to rely on. Uh, I have, I do have two employees, but like, I don't, I'm not actually just part of the, the, the cog in the machine. Like I have to be outputting or there's not income coming in. So mm. I like that pressure for some odd reason, or maybe just the control aspect. Um, and I'm wired to be fine, you know, working in this office yeah. by myself most of the time. Yeah. Something I'm always interested to learn as well about business owners is how do you prioritize or manage working in your business versus on your business? Because I think a lot of people get stuck working in the business day to day, just getting, keeping things ticking over, making sure that, yeah, orders are going out and customer service tickets are being fulfilled and that kind of thing. But then it's really important to take opportunities to step back and work out, okay, how can I make the business better? Maybe not, maybe not bigger, but mm -hmm. better. How can I streamline systems or just improve, uh, you know, streamline things so that I can spend more time with my family? How, how do you, so yeah, how do you balance that, uh, mm -hmm. that challenge working in versus on your business? Yeah, for me, I mean, it's, a, it's an ever uh, unending balance of trying to figure out that how much should I spend in versus on, but I see it as like zooming in the business and then working really closely on things and, and getting hyper-focused on some specific task or area or process and then being able to step back and zoom back out and say, okay, here's the 10,000 foot view. Like these are the things we need to be working on and kind of like that reset. But if you stay up in that 10,000 foot view too long, it's just kind of abstract and ambiguous. Like you have to be able to get back down to the details, really get in the weeds on something 
to figure out, you know, laser focus on this one thing and then they'll push the ball in the right direction. Like you're pushing things forward and pulling back out and kind of this constant push and pull or, or zoom in and out, I guess is a better way of saying it. And I think I read um, one of your newsletters or a blog post a while ago, <clears throat> I think where you talked about you do a sort of retreat. Mm-hmm. Where Was that on your own? I think you go away and you kind of just isolate yourself for a little while and yeah. you know, kind of step that, that 10,000 foot, you know, you're stepping back and thinking about things. Yeah, I've done two different ways. So I've done it with just our small team here. Um, so my brother, who's my business partner, and then just have two employees. So we'll do like a team version of that where it's really focused on that 10,000 foot view where we're not going and doing any type of technical work, like any type of actual creating. It's all about strategy and vision and, and ideas. And that's where some of the, my biggest ideas have been born from, like, you know, analog and gather and a lot of these things that we're talking about were kind of formulated and came, became a thing starting at some of those things, those times. And then I've also done a solo retreat, which I was planning on doing again until the pandemic hit. And it's a little hard to do a solo retreat in your own house when you have kids also locked up here with you. But, and that was specifically, I I took that time to, to, to do a specific project, which was analog. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time I didn't reveal what it was. Everyone was like, what are you working on on this time? But to take a dedicated, it was just like 48 hours where I was only going to do that. I'm not going to respond to emails. I'm not going to try and keep up with social media. I'm just going to go in with specific guidelines of like figuring out, you know, what analog was, how I'm going to tell the story, what do I need to do next? And that like hyper-focused time in a different location, um, just stayed in an Airbnb and got like a lot of clarity around something that I would never get if I just kept coming to my desk here every day. And, you know, there's fires to be put out, there's things to attend to. So I highly recommend it when we're allowed to leave our houses again to try doing that, even if it's just like a one night thing to work on a specific project. I would love to try something like that. I did a retreat <clears throat> with some friends actually last month. We're allowed out at the moment, fortunately. <laughs> nice. And some friends of mine who are also self-employed, we went down to Lake Taupo here in New Zealand and kind of like a, yeah, let's just get away. And we did some hot seat sessions to kind of brainstorm some challenges and things that we were going through. And it was really useful. Um, but I've never done the solo retreat. I, I actually am really interested in, in that idea. Yeah, I might have to give that a go. Yeah, it's a good, it's a, I think it's a good practice just to try things like that because while I could do the exact same work here at my desk in my home office, it just doesn't happen. Like I think there's something about phys- changing physical spaces. We actually assign things in our brains. We have like subconscious ideas when we move from our desk to the couch or to the kitchen table, we're, we're like pre-assigning those things and we get in a different mode. So if you separate yourself from something that doesn't have a pre-assigned condition to it and we're not like, you're in a location you're at a hotel, you're at an Airbnb, you're camping, whatever it is. I think it gives you the freedom to say, to kind of break free from those habits. Because let's face it, when we sit down at our desk, we end up doing some of the same things that are bad habits and scrolling social media or, you know, fidgeting with something on our desk or just, you know, getting distracted. That that physical separation has been really helpful. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think there's a lot of a lot of sense in that. Yeah, I can just imagine sitting down with a good intention, like I'm going to use today for this purpose, and then you're at your mm-hmm. desk, and an email comes in, so you check that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely see the environment being a big factor. It's actually a good experiment too, depending on the type of work you do, to not have Wi-Fi or any cell service, or you know, if you have it, turn it off, and you know, if it's something like writing where you need to write. You don't need Wi-Fi on to write, you know, just break open your laptop and start writing and force yourself to be that, you know, to get into that mode. I find like sometimes when I'm on on planes that I'll end up doing writing and doing tasks that I never do 
never seem to do in my home office. Well, it's because I don't have Wi-Fi. I don't have Netflix. I don't have anything to distract me. Um, so putting those guidelines in place can actually be beneficial. Well, next I wanted to talk a little bit about your productivity routines. Um, I, I, what I've observed from you, I don't know if this is, if you think this is accurate or not, or, or not, but is that you sort of have a mix of digital and analog productivity tools. I mean, you've, like I said earlier, you've mentioned on your blog, some of the software that you use like Dropbox, uh, uh, paper, and mm -hmm. some of the, just the SaaS products that you use, but you also have a lot of tangible systems. Uh, most recently, obviously the analog system, um, you've like just general notebooks and things. I would say I'm much more of a digital, digital person. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know why I've just always just gravitated to that, I think, but could you talk through, I guess, when planning your time, managing your workload, how these different types of tools fit in, how do you decide when to kind of go into a notebook or, or use analog to write things down versus using a digital system? Yeah. I mean, I'm not particularly naturally a structured person, uh, like keeping a calendar and keeping structure and time blocking. Those aren't things that I'm like, man, I love this. I love having all of this structure in my life um, for better or for worse. Like, I mean, I think it can certainly be a bad thing to not have structure, but it can be a good thing to allow ourselves the freedom to work on things when we feel like working on them or we feel in the zone. You know, when it comes to creative work, it's really hard to schedule creative work because it's just, it's like pushing a square peg through a round hole. And um, so for me, I, I keep my tools really, really simple. Um, and because I run my own company, I get to set a lot of those meetings and I don't have someone else necessarily dictating all of those things for me, but I use a combination of digital and analog. And well, so currently we're using Asana, uh, as our task manager. Um, I don't absolutely love it, but it works and it's fine and it keeps everyone up to date. Um, but what I gravitate towards more is Dropbox paper and just making lists, making checkbox, um, checklist on there and being able to tag people and kind of separate by product and really just like dump my brain onto that paper. It feels very natural for me to work as Dropbox paper works, um, copy and pasting links and just assigning simple notes and comments and having two people collaborating at the same time on ideas. Um, so that's still like my preferred digital tool. And I know not, it's not like a most pop, the most popular tool and people are moving to notion and all these other, these apps. Um, but that one just seems to fit how I work and think the best. And then what I do with analog on these physical cards that, I'm, that we're talking about, the actual Kickstarter, is I'll pull my tasks out of, the, out of Dropbox paper or Asana and physically write them down on these cards. And this is a daily thing. So if I don't start with an analog card, it's probably not going to be a good day because I'm in my inbox and I'm you know, checking soccer scores and all of these things that I shouldn't be doing. But I, I try to start every single day by taking out an analog card looking at my, my digital lists and then copying down up to 10 things that I want to get done that day. And it's, it sounds really simple and really basic. Like why couldn't I just leave them in my digital app? But the fact is I don't end up switching tabs and looking at Asana or if I swipe open my phone and I see I have two text messages, it's like, oh, I should just respond to those really quick. This physical card that sits in front of me, like physically in this, uh, this wood holder here, this is what, can is completely distraction free. You know, it's just staring at me all day saying, do this, do this, do this. Yeah. And it's worked really well for me. Um, do you think there's almost like a change in mentality that comes with like a digital versus an analog system? Is it, I, I can definitely see how people put something in their calendar or into Asana or wherever. And they think, well, if I don't do that, 
it's not a big deal or it's, mm-hmm. it's not as big a commitment. Whereas maybe writing things down, like you said, you've kind of got it, it's tangible, it's in front of you. Um, yeah, do you think kind of it, it affects our mindset, I suppose? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's even, I was you know reading a lot about the productivity and different, the science behind things. The way that our brain actually records things is different when we have a pen in our hand and we write it down and we cross it off. Like there's actually like the dopamine mm-hmm. release when you cross something off and there's a sense of completion that when you do it on an app and you just click the delete button and it disappears into thin air, it's kind of just gone. There's no record of showing progress, showing you got something done. Did you do the same job? Yes. Like it's the exact same thing. Um, and you know, paper doesn't necessarily make you get things done more because it's paper, but there's something that is physically wired in us too, that seeing all those things filled up, you know, seeing all those tasks cross off does really feel good. And I think that, that kind of idea and mindset is really helpful. And besides, uh, you mentioned Dropbox, Paper, um, I think you mentioned Asana. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any other key on the digital side? Are there any other key apps that you, um, you want to mention, just like tools that are imp- important for doing your work? Yeah, I mean, on my phone, I've been using um, Simple Note, which is just, I mean, it's, it's basically like Apple Notes, but um, it syncs to the desktop. I just feel like it's quicker, a little bit faster. Um, for capturing things. So even that, sometimes I'll be out and I don't have anywhere to put, I don't have an analog card with me. I don't want to open a sauna and make a task. I'll just jot something down real quick in there. Um, and then there's another app that I really like called Do. It's just D-U-E. Yeah. And it's like what Apple Reminders should be is how I would describe it. It just works way better than Apple Reminders. Um, you can snooze tasks. You can have them repeating. It's It's the kind of the other place where if I need to remember something, whether it's literally like taking bread out of the oven or a task I want to do the next day, I can put it in there with a couple clicks and, and next day it'll show up as like the little red badge until I transfer it onto my analog card. I kind of delete it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So you, <clears throat> you might have things start digitally in, in mm-hmm. due, um, but you might transfer it to analog when it's sort of, I guess analog is, yeah, today's priorities. Now it's something I'm committing. Yep. I really need to get this done. That's, that's quite interesting. Yeah, like if it's on an app, it's, there's a 50-50% chance that I'm going to get it done. If it's on the analog card, it means it's actually going to get done at some point. Yeah, it might not, may not get to it that day that I had on the card. But what I do is anything that is not crossed off, when I sit down for the next day, I'll take out a new today card and transfer those tasks that, did, that weren't completed onto that card. So it's automatically filling up with the things I didn't get to. And after the fifth or sixth time of like copying something over, you're like, either I don't need to do this or I just need to pick up the phone and make this phone call or send the email or do that thing. Um, Again, it's silly because it's like we're playing games with our own brains at this point, but it seems to work. And that's how I've designed my entire business. That's how I run my entire business. You're actually helping me to learn something about myself because I actually, I've always said that I'm a very digital person. I live in Asana and my calendar, Mm -hmm. but sometimes if I feel like I've got a big day, or I feel, I feel like I've, there's a lot, a lot of plates spinning right now and I'm not sure where to start. Sometimes just I get my notebook and I write down like, these are the three things. If I achieve nothing mm-hmm. else today, if I can do yeah. these three things, that would be great. And again, for some reason, putting it on paper really helps. Um, so I, and I, like I said, I've, I'm just sort of realizing about this about myself now, but I'm looking forward to getting my hands on analog and, and actually yeah. using that really to set my commitments and um, you know, using that in conjunction with maybe a digital system, yeah. Yeah, I think another a key part of having analog is that a physical card, there's constraints to this. So like 
you can only put a certain number of things on there. Yeah. Whereas digital, yeah. if I open a sauna and I have 53 things to do and I get to seven of them, even if they were seven hard things, but I still have 40, can you do the math, 46 left, um, then I feel like this productivity guilt, like what am I, how am I yeah. ever going to get to the rest? And digital is just a never ending list, right? Like you can add things indefinitely uh, or infinitely. And what the card does is kind of give me the sense of completion that at the end of the day, you know, I did enough. I did enough for today. I need to, you know, put the card away and then kind of take off the work hat, work hat, put on my dad hat and kind of disconnect. And with digital, I feel like there's no break. It's just like this constant like stress yeah. of looking at this list that keeps growing. It's never getting smaller because it's a constant thing. Um, that analog has just taken it and make it into bite-sized pieces of things to get done. And there's like, I don't know, this sense of completion. It's so true as well. I see it all the time when I help people with Asana, for example, you log in and their account is just full and they're like, oh, I'm just mm -hmm. overwhelmed. And it, it, I think it is because it's a digital system. It's so easy <clears throat> to overcommit and, <clears throat> and have all these things like, I know I need to get all this done. And before you know it, you're just overwhelmed and you start drowning. Um, and so part of what I find my work is, is helping people to put structure or systems in place so that they don't overcommit and actually go through that mm -hmm. exercise of prioritizing and working out, you know, okay, of these list, of this list, what do I need to get done? Um, we've talked a little bit about Gather, but I, I don't think we've, um, uh, for those that haven't heard of it or seen the campaign, you mentioned about, you know, obviously there's the initial card where you're set, setting your intentions and you, then you're transferring things you didn't complete to the following day. Can you just give a bit of a, um, expand on that a little bit and explain kind of how the analog um, system, sorry, I might've said gather before. I think I said that in That's okay. reference to other products. We all know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, analog. I'm talking about analog. Um, yeah. Can you maybe explain sort of the system, the analog system, how it works, um, kind of the steps that people go through? Yeah. So analog is divided into three cards. So we talked about the today card, which is where I start every day. And then there's also a next card and a someday card. And these are all principles from GTD, getting things done. These are not new concepts that I've come up with. Yeah. Um, but these are the three buckets where I will capture things and they will end up. Um, so today is obviously the things I need to work on today. Next are tasks that I need to do, but I don't need to do today. So if they're on the today card, it's just a distraction. Um, so kind of the on deck circle. And then someday is more for ideas or long-term goals, things that, you know, if I had time, I would like to, um, yeah. and I don't want to forget it. So I put it on the someday card. And what I do is I review those someday and next cards kind of periodically, like, okay, I'm ready to transfer this onto my today card. I'm ready to tackle this idea. Um, and there's replication. It's, it's physically rewriting the task. So it's not as easy as just dragging it over like in Asana yeah. and, you know, they make it so nice, but there, because I'm kind of reevaluating my priorities every single day, it's been helpful to kind of see where those things shift, where I thought something was really important and then it kind of goes down the list and it's not as important as I originally thought. So it's really a really um, a simple system. And then I also have the bullets on there. So you can kind of borrowed from the bullet journal system where you're, you're completing a task by filling it in. You're, you're co coloring it in half if it's in progress. Okay. And error, delegating, <laughs> letting people kind of make their own system on that too. That's really cool. Um, I was going to ask, oh yeah. So when you were coming up with analog and the three cards, did you experiment at all with any other ideas around how you would use these cards or a different, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, what was your, um, your kind of development process like? Did you experiment with other methods or yeah, along the way before you came up with this idea? 
Yeah, I mean, originally it was just regular index cards, just you know the the cheap cards you can pick up anywhere. Um, there was no structure to it. It was just like making lists and trying to use that card to sit in front of my monitor. And over time, developing into this system of having the three cards, I didn't really want to get more complex than that. There's certainly many other uses. You can make project cards. You can make highlight cards. You could do all different things um, with the cards, but without. I don't want to overcomplicate it to a point where it feels like too much work. And to me, that's why I like these productivity planners and paper planners. I kept trying them because they seemed like really helpful. You come up with your best, your top three things and how you felt that day and you're reflective and this and that. But I couldn't keep up with it. It was like, that, that felt like work. Um, so at the end of the day, analog should not feel like work. It should almost feel invisible in the sense that you're just doing it. It's a habit. You build that muscle memory you take your tasks, you put them on there, you copy them over. And I think we can extrapolate the system in the future. We could, we could build onto it. We could add these other things, but at the core of it, I wanted it to be just, you know, really, really simple. That's awesome. Um, like I said, I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it. Um, so talking about the campaign a little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, just to give a bit of background as well, I think, so the gather system, that was your first Kickstarter campaign, mm -hmm. I believe. Yep which I think I've had a number here was very successful. I think you did over 400,000 mm -hmm. on that, on that first campaign, which is unbelievable. Um, yeah. Why do you think uh, it got the response that it did? Yeah. Gather was, was kind of just blew all of our big goals out of the water. Um, and, and gather the product that we're referring to as a modular desk organizer. Um, where the wood base has this grid system built in and you can slide your modules around and just to hold your phone and your pens and all the things on your desk born out of a place of like, I wanted this to exist because I kept having all of this clutter all over my desk and I wanted a beautiful way to hold it all. Um, so that product, I mean, it really resonated and just struck a chord with people. And I think what it is, if I, I can't attribute it to just one thing, but the combination of form and function where, this is a beautiful object in and of itself, but it actually solves a problem. Like people actually had the same problem I did where their pens and their pencils and everything was, their phone was laying on their desk and all of these things were, were happening in their own setup that they felt like they wanted um, something beautiful to organize it. Um, so that took on a life of its own and has been an interesting journey to manufacture at scale and fulfill at scale and all of these things that come with doing a product that goes that huge. Um, but it's certainly been a learning experience has been by far our most successful product. Yeah. Um, well, I can't say that yet because now we have analog running and uh, analog still has, you know, the time of recording, we still have two weeks left and um, can just to see where analog will end up. But I've learned a lot from gather that I've applied to the analog Kickstarter too. I was something I observed afterwards. You had a lot of copycat products coming out and mm -hmm. uh, on Kickstarter and just online, I guess. Um, I guess they saw the success of gather and have tried to mimic that. Um, any comments on that at all? Yeah. I mean, if you do anything that, that is even a little bit successful, there will be copycats and there will be knockoffs and people that did not originate any idea. They just straight up rip it off. I mean, it happens with my t-shirts. It happens with my other products. People don't even try. And, and honestly, I used to worry more about it because it was really frustrating. And I think as a designer, we have a lot of heart and soul poured into these products. But anymore, if people want the real product, they know where to come. Yeah. Um, and if people are looking for the cheapest thing and the knockoff version, they're going to buy that anyways. Uh, so if you're looking for something that's made by Apple, you're not looking for the Apple knockoff <laughs> MacBook, right? Like you want the real thing. Whereas there are people that like just want a cheap laptop, they're going to find the cheap one. 
So I think it's really two different audiences. It's not really flattery, even though people keep saying imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I don't know that it's flattery. <laughs> it means that you've done something worth copying. And I'm sure the same thing is going to happen with, with analog. It's, you know, it's very easy to knock off and to, to replicate. But at the end of the day, what they can't replicate is the trust and the loyalty and the community that I've built over the last 12 years where people know like, okay, if I want the real Ugg Monk analog, I know where to come. Um, so yeah, it's not to say that it's not going to be a struggle, but I don't spend a lot of energy worrying about that just because, you know, I've created this brand and people know who I am at this point. Do you have any, um, I guess like patents or protection around the product at all? I, I don't even know if there is something you can patent really. Yeah. On gather, we have a design patent filed and went through that whole legal process and got patents and we could do the same thing with analog, but the thing with patents is they're only good for the country you file them in. Right. They're only good as much as you want to defend them. So if we wanted to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going to court, trying to get these knockoffs to take their stuff off Kickstarter and off Amazon, we probably could. But again, that's not where I, I'm not that excited <laughs> to get out of bed fighting those court cases. Um, I'd rather make the next thing and just stay a step ahead of everybody else. I, I, well, I think that's a great attitude. And um, like, I mean, like you said, you've, it's just one of those things you've got to try and put out of your head. You can't control it at the end of the day and just try not to let it bother you, I suppose. But um, I would only try and mimic what other people have told you, which you're probably sick of. At least it's some validation that you made it. Good yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely, it can be, you know, flattering in the sense that like people are noticing it, I guess is the thing. But when it comes down to a business perspective, like people are just looking for the, the quickest, easiest way to make cash. And they think, ah, oh, if Jeff made that, if, or if, if whatever company made this, you know, we're going to replicate our own version of all bird sneakers because they're valued at a billion dollars. Or we're going to replicate Warby Parker glasses because they seem to be doing something right. Like nobody knows behind the scenes the, the amount of work and research that went in to get to that actual stage of, of success. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, you get what you pay for. So if you want to buy the ripoff, you'll, you'll probably quickly realize that actually it doesn't have the attention to detail that your mm -hmm. products have. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll get what you pay for. Um, so with yep. the campaign, you've got, I think you said two weeks left at the time of recording yep. this. Um, do you want to talk us through a little bit kind of the rewards? At, well, actually, and also some of the numbers, what, where are you at? What was your goal? Where are you at now? And um, you know, how can people back it? What are the rewards like? Yeah, give us some of the details. So yeah, we have 14 days left in the campaign. Uh, we're currently at $305,447 at the time of recording, yeah. uh, US dollars. Our goal was $6,000 um, and we have 3,450 backers. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. We're going to be shipping all of this out from our new warehouse location, like doing all of this ourselves, um, but just completely blew the top, even our, the top goal, the, the, the big crazy goal we set, it was still blew that out of the water. So I'm really happy with where it's going and, and just all the feedback we're getting seeing that this idea resonates with people more than even just the physical product because analog is more about the idea, the system, yeah. the structure that it provides um, and people are buying in to, to the whole thing. How do you, um, when the campaign is over and that time comes where it's now time to fulfill these orders, that just to me seems like a huge job. How, how do yeah. you go about tackling that? <laughs> it's going to be a huge job and there's going to yeah. be weeks of shipping. I'm going to you know, hire a bunch of part-time friends and people locally here to come in and, and pack orders and ship them. Uh, we've been shipping products for so long that it's not new to us. It's just yeah. a lot bigger scale. Um, 
we ship all around the world anyways with UGMONKS. So this isn't necessarily new. It's just going to be times 10 or times 50 what we would normally do. So we're going to warehouse all the product. We're manufacturing it all here in the U.S., um, doing everything locally this time, which is a shift from some of the things we've done in the past, just to keep the quality as good as it possibly can um, and have that, that aspect of like we can go work with the manufacturer directly when they're making the wood parts, they're printing the, the cards, the packaging, everything, just be super high touch through the whole process. So it's going to be, yeah, it's a lot of work, a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. This is the fun part right now where I get to watch the number on the Kickstarter keep going up, but there's also like, okay, that, that, that many more people we have to ship to. Well, yeah, one more time, just congratulations. Um, final question really that um, I, I hadn't planned on asking, but I guess want to end with is, you know, Monk, the brand has evolved um, over the years. Like you started with t-shirts and apparel and you've gone into some of the office products, Gather, Analog now. Um, I mean, you might want to, you might not want to answer this, but where do you see Monk going in the future, product-wise, brand-wise? Are there other categories you're interested in getting into? What's on, what's on the horizon for you, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it changes often, but I think what Analog has done for me is really brought together all of the parts and all of the avenues where I see um, Monk going as a brand, which ties in physical product design, productivity, workspace mm. kind of checking all of those boxes i think there's a lot more i could do in that in that arena and i'm excited to continue pushing that so the apparel will still be a core part of what we're doing um our essential tees are you know one of our best sellers and probably will be like a staple product because people just want to find a tee that they like that doesn't shrink and um the graphic tees will always be a part of Monk because that's why i started it and that feels like the heart the the core of what it is but this idea of tying making better versions of products that I always wanted to exist is the thread that ties it all together. Like the, that wasn't supposed to be a pun, but <laughs> it ties it together from the shirts to the mouse pads to the gather to analog. Um, I want to continue down that path and just see where it takes me. That's fantastic. Well, I'm going to be following along and uh, yeah, just continuing to um, follow your journey. Um, so Thank you for your time today. You've been really generous, generous with your time. For people listening, I'll have links to Ugmonk, to the Kickstarter campaign in the show notes. And uh, Jeff, yeah, one more time, congratulations. And, and thanks for being uh, so generous with your time today and sharing you know, the behind the scenes and, and how you work. Um, yeah, I think um, I can speak for a lot of people when I say we really appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. All right, that was my discussion with Jeff Sheldon from Ugmonk. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? Um, I certainly had a really good time recording the interview. If you do want to learn more about Ugmonk or check out the Kickstarter campaign, as Jeff said, there's a couple of weeks left. I have details and links in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at paulminers.com slash 179. And as always, thank you very much for listening. I will catch you next time on the Paul Miners podcast.